0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Here. I'm sort of stunned every time that... I almost asked you not to read that bio this morning because it um, it's not relevant. <laughs> it's not relevant to actually being here this morning and speaking and... and um, we are in the, in the second week of a series on the, the five faculties. These are the, the capacities for development of and maintaining a, a spiritual life. These are the things that we have that are tools for us, that are sort of, they become kind of a way of being as we go along. I was thinking a little bit about what we talked about last week. And... Um, how, uh, just to begin with, when we talk about faculties or capacities for a spiritual life, how that conjures up images of what do we mean by a spiritual life. And I thought, well, you know, it doesn't really have to do with religion, although it could. But it has everything to do with, with leading a contemplative life. You know, how do we relate, How do we relate to how we're living the life we live? What does that look like for us? And, and what are the things that help us live a balanced life, a balanced contemplative life, a balanced spiritual life? So the five faculties are faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. It's kind of in the nature of meditation that we eventually develop wisdom. Wisdom. It's in the nature of meditation that we need mindfulness and concentration, and it doesn't happen without effort. So one of the things that's really clear as we talk about all of these is how truly interrelated they are. You know, just they don't. They don't. Okay, now I'm going to work on this one. <laughs> you know, um, it is a very, very much like a contemplative life. You sit down to con- consider something. And then you see what comes up. <laughs> and then you see what develops. And all of these factors, all of these faculties are involved with that. Now, last week we, did, uh, we talked about faith. And uh, a- after the talk, someone came up to me and said, well, you know, you talked about the difference between faith and belief. And as soon as you got through talking about it, you just talked about beliefs. And I thought, I did? So I've been, that's been on my mind since then. And, you know, the truth is that sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between faith and a belief. And so I was asking people all week, how do you tell the difference between faith and belief? So uh, a, a good friend of mine, Stuart Cutchins, said to me, he said, well, this is really simple. He said, belief is refusing or erasing doubt, and faith is continuing on in the face of doubt. I thought that was really apt. Yeah. You know, the that that what we develop when we develop faith is a, a sense of confidence in our path. This is how this is what we're doing, and these are the results I see. And it's not perfect, but this seems to be right. This seems to be the right thing to be doing. And we develop a kind of trust. So I want to reintroduce the idea of faith as also being trust. Now, I, can, I see I can rely on this. I don't, it isn't the same thing as this will fix everything in my life and if I do this, then this is what life is going to look like. Or if I do this, then you know, I'm safe from all harm. It is... I trust the practice to keep me on a path. That's what I'm doing now. When the, the another way that these are these faculties are talked about is is the five strengths. So when we've got them well under hand and we're we're going great in our contemplative life and, and we need to battle off ennui or <laughs> boredom or then, then we, can re- we can refer to them as strengths. And when you think of them as strengths, then that faith becomes uh, a co- the strength of conviction. Yes. I think this, I know this works. I know there's some result here. I've experienced some result here. I am convinced that I should proceed. And there's the strength of persistence, that effort becomes a persistence. I am going to continue this. And there is the strength of mindfulness, that mindfulness is, becomes a tool that allows us to stay with whatever is happening. And the strength of concentration, focus, focus. I'll say a lot about that later. <laughs> and the strength of discernment. I can say this is skillful and this is not skillful. So these five faculties are really wrapped up in one another. And the one thing that is true about them is it doesn't develop without all of them. But a very important part of it is number two, where we are today, effort, effort and persistence, effort and persistence. If, um, if faith is to put the heart on, effort is applying the energy to that placing of the heart. It's, it supplies the energy and the stick and aligns with the attention. The Pali word is viria. And the question is, what does it take to keep on keeping on? What does it take to keep on keeping on? You know, um, when I was... When I was preparing this talk, I realized that it was really easy to fall into the trap of exhorting you to excellence. Just keep going. Right? You know, it reminds me of uh, uh, my grandson who was signed up for, for ice skating lessons, and he went to three of them, and then he said, you know, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, look at him, and you, you, you have this, come on, stick it out. You've only got three more lessons, and... I said, you know, he's four, <laughs> and he doesn't want to do this. <laughs> and I said, you know, there's a, a tendency to say I'm going to whip myself into persistence. This is not the answer. It's not the answer. So I ran across this poem. This, this is a book of poems called Once in the West by Christian Wyman, He's actually a Christian chaplain. He teaches at uh, Yale. So this is called Even the Demon. Even the Demon. It takes a real cow to bite through the prickly pear's sharp spokes. It takes a brain of stone or a canny man to coax from thorn and husk sustaining fruit. It takes hunger. It takes thirst to taste all the tender interiors of hell Upon which it is said even the demon chokes I read it again It takes a real cow To bite beyond the prickly pear's sharp spokes It takes a brain of stone Or a canny man To coax from thorn and husk Sustaining fruit it takes hunger, it takes thirst, to taste all the tender interiors of hell, upon which it is said, even the demon chokes. So, so the pieces of this poem that spoke to me is, you know we have this skull, where we want to go, and there are these things that get in the way. the this, this you know, the prickly pear, as you probably know, is a cactus, and it has long spokes, long spikes on it, it has gorgeous flowers, and, and puts out fruit every spring. It, it, it's, it's actually a very a lovely plant. But it is not a friendly plant. <laughs> and the spokes are hard and sharp and long. And in, in our practice, we run across things that are sharp and hard and long. And we think, oh, well, I'll just keep going. But it actually takes, it takes the strength of purpose. It takes a thirst to get beyond that. You have to want to. You want, have to want to get beyond. You have to, ha- you have to be you have to have the, the 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 brain of the brain of stone is that is that absolute persistent determination to continue i'm going to continue because there is this sustaining fruit and to taste all the tender interiors of hell very often what we find when we contemplate our lives is a lot of stuff we wish wasn't there. And yet, and yet, knowing this allows us to apply wisdom to where we're going. And even the demon, even that which is not in the direction of our path, chokes on things that just aren't the way they want them. <laughs> yeah. Things are not the way we want them. So, this, so, so even the demon has trouble. It takes a real cow to proceed. So in the spirit of being a real cow to find the way, I'd like to talk today about persistence, about thirst, about energy, and how they all come together. Otherwise, how do we get over the rough spots? How do we get over the boredom? No, it happens. Some days you just say, nothing's happening. (laughs) And the energy just seeps out. And it's all well and good to say, if I had developed an appropriate capacity, the energy would be there. But sometimes it's just not there. How do we get past that? What do we do with that? How do we see clearly around disappointment and random events? How do we see clearly through that? Searing, seeing clearly sometimes means we see less than we hope to to see. Sometimes we see more. Yesterday when I was preparing this talk, I uh I decided I would I would wait just a minute and I would throw in a load of wash. And then I said, well, as I throw in the load of wash, well, first of all, I want to wash this blouse and it needs a new button. Okay, it was actually this button. (laughs) And so immediately I started out rearranging all the buttons in my button drawer. Now, over, you know, let's just take the 50 years, let's just say 50 years I've been collecting buttons (laughs) from everything I've ever bought. I have an extra button and it's in this drawer And there I was, arranging all the... It became very important to arrange the buttons. You know, I have too many little bags here. I'm going to put all the buttons of this kind in this bag and had them all spread out. And I thought, Maria, one load of laundry. (laughs) There's something else going on here. (laughs) You're avoiding something. You are not doing something because why all of a sudden this morning you have to arrange all the buttons? And I was aware of that. I mean, you know, the button fell off three weeks ago. and It really wasn't urgent. And there I was in the midst of that, and I had to say, okay, so what's actually happening here? Because arranging buttons is probably not it. That's just what my body is doing. It's arranging buttons and opening flaps. And What's going on here? What's really happening here? Oh, I don't really want to do this talk. Oh, that's interesting. You don't want to do this talk, but you have to do this talk, right? But there was a long list. I could generate a long list of objections. And, you know, I had time. It was still morning. And I'd done some work the day before, and I didn't really need a long list of excuses for why I wasn't going to sit down and start. When we talk about effort, and sustaining effort, sometimes we forget that the first thing we have to do is actually start. We have to do the practice. And we have to make a decision to do that practice every day. Uh, I once talked to someone who uh, was in prison. He was in a minimum security prison. And a minimum security prison, it was was a farm. And it, it doesn't actually have a fence around it. And he said he had to get up every day and agree to himself that he was not going to walk off, that he was going to stay there. Every day he had to decide to stay someplace he did not want to be. That's a picture of persistence and consistency. You carry on even when you don't want to. Because if we don't actually do the practice, we get nowhere. You know, uh, uh, I I mentor a lot of people in this online introduction to meditation course. And I'd say, uh, well, it doesn't matter what percentage, a a number of people will say to me at some point during the the course, the six-week course, well, you know, I think that, I'm sitting for about three minutes and and really, nothing's happening. And I'll say to them, you know, what do you expect to happen in three minutes? Where is your where is the alignment of your, your and whether it's three minutes or five minutes or ten minutes, whatever you know, whatever the period is. <clears throat> you know, we sometimes forget this practice is especially difficult in the beginning, and in the middle, and later. We're always having to restart. We're always having to, okay, I'm going to do this. Whether, whether you have experience with the effects of doing it is one difference between a beginner and someone who's practiced for 20 or 30 years. But that's only a difference. It has nothing to do with measuring hard or easy. Nothing. We still have expectations to overcome. In some ways, when you've been sitting for a while, there are things that are harder. You know? Oh, I expect when I sit down that I will settle in quickly, and then I don't. Oh, what? what, 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 what? This can't be true. This cannot be happening. This shouldn't be happening. All the time we have an experience of This shouldn't be happening. Dealing with our own expectations and our own judgments and our own intentions. Always. We have doubts to overcome. Sometimes it is so foreign for things to go well that we don't even recognize when it's happening. (laughs) The last time I was on retreat, I, had, uh, I was preparing to go talk to, to Gil in an interview and I noticed that um, there was a lot of agitation in my mind and that my body was still moving slowly and deliberately and that that agitation was only in my mind and it was not all of me that was agitated and I was so surprised to see that to notice that oh Oh, it was, it was a recognition that I am not what my mind is doing. <laughs> How many times am I going to rediscover that? <laughs> many, 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 many. We mean to live a life of simplicity and generosity. And then we're driving innocently along a street a road, and we see a magnificent house. Beautiful, architecturally beautiful, landscaping, absolutely gorgeous. You can only imagine what else is on the interior of it. Or perhaps you see the interior and you see these gorgeous cherry wood built-in cabinets. I'm describing to you a house very near to where I live that I can walk by. And when I first saw this house, Such envy. Oh, beautiful. And then I said, oh my God, it would be so difficult to take care of this house. (laughs) Thank God I was able to think of that. (laughs) But it has now become my mudita house, a house of sympathetic joy for the people who live there. And I hope that they actually enjoy it. Because it's very easy to come up with, oh, why do they have that? And up comes envy. Or, this is an example of the excesses of the rich. Judgment. Why am I thinking this way? I shouldn't be thinking this way. Judgment again. Why am I so caught up in this? More judgment. Followed then by a whole series of, this is the way I am statements. (laughs) Well, I I believe this, and I've done this, and... Right? A lot of reinforcing who I am. Because I drove by this house that fits all my fantasies. This happens. This happens. We're not immune to this happening. When we stumble, when we get confused, it's per- perseverance in the practice that reminds us this too is practice. This is not instead of practice. This is not a failure of practice. This is it. This is the practice. Persistence gives us faith that we can overcome all of the hindrances to practice. You remember the hindrances? Desire, aversion, restlessness, sloth and torpor, doubt. They come, they come, they come, they go away. You know, you probably all have your favorite, temporary favorite hindrance. (laughs) Whether it's, I want things to be different, I don't want things to be this way. Oh, this doesn't work, I know this doesn't work, I shouldn't, well, I really can't sit here, I have too much to do, this is... Whatever it is that is your favorite avoidance to practice. Know it so that you can see it and say, Oh, hi. I get it. You're back. Because what helps us over that is to just keep on keeping on. Uh Uh-huh. I'm just going to see what happens if I keep going. Today I'm restless. It doesn't mean that my practice has failed. In, In fact, I am so glad I've noticed I've noticed I'm restless. (laughs) That's great. Because the goal here is not some kind of perfection. It's to be aware of what is. This is what is. So that I can make wise decisions about what I do, how I meet it. So that I'm not a victim. I'm a participant in my life. We develop a sense of intention and a conviction around that intention. And we can return to that intention over and over again. I return to that intention. So maybe my intention is to be open-hearted. And I see a little baby who's smiling, and that compassion is just Completely natural It comes out right away There's a, It's like a switch has come on And I want to take care of that child Do I have that same switch When I see somebody walking down the street With a pile of things And a grocery shop char, Sorry, grocery It's a cart Thank you, thank you it was close to shart. <laughs> a grocery cart, and they're scowling, and you know they look like they've been on the street a long time. What is the quality of that compassion that I see that person? Is it compassion or is it pity? Is it disgust? And I notice what is what is the quality today of my reaction to this? Or, th- or that same baby who has just pooed in its pants and is screaming and won't let you touch it. What's the sense of compassion? How has the quality of that compassion changed? And the practice is to notice it. It isn't to be better than you are You can be skillful and realign yourself with your intention, but it isn't a a judgment that you're doing in this being awareness. It's truly just being aware. We need to develop a sense of urgency around this. The reason it's important to know that everything needs to be included is that without a sense of, I need to do this now, I could still be at home arranging those buttons. I could say, I mean, you know, frankly, what I did with all those buttons is I ended up putting them all back in the drawer, pretty much unsorted. Well, there were a couple of sorts, but the effort was nothing. It was, it was spinning in place. But eventually, I had to let go of those buttons because I had to come finish this talk. There was an urgency. In the end, I had to go do this. And I knew all along I was going to do this. And we do that with our practice all the time. I know I'm going to do this. Why don't I just start? Why don't I just do it? If we don't develop the capacity when we really need it, it won't be there. When there's a major upset in life, we lose a friend, or someone dies, or we lose all our money. Or we lose our job. Or some unexpected thing happens. How do we, how do we manage that? How, what is our resilience quotient? How is our balance? How is our ability to persist affected by something that really derails us? how quickly do we come back? When we become overcome with anger, in surprise, how quickly can we, can we bring ourselves back to the way that we really intend to be? We develop the capacity for making wise decisions by consistently practicing seeing how things are, what our responses are, choosing things, based on whether we think they're skillful or unskillful. I was reading a blog the other day, and somebody was talking about wanting to put a, a speed limiter on his car so that his teenage daughter would not be tempted to drive too fast. And, you know, there were all sorts of comments about, well, you train her well, and so on. But, you know... There's a certain amount of driving or any other skill where you develop a capacity based on having met a lot of different situations. You just develop a different kind of capacity. It isn't about knowing how to handle a skid. It's about having the experience of having been in one and knowing what you do in the skid. You know, Everybody takes driver's training. They tell you how to handle a skid. We don't have a lot of experience. They're just driving around on our roads. But when you go into a skid, how quickly are you going to remember what to do? What's the proper thing to do to handle the, sc- the car? We need to practice. We need to see what happens when we get out. It doesn't mean we go searching suffering. Suffering arises. It means we don't push it away. It means we, we really pay attention. Oh, this is a good thing happening to me because now I can look at what my reactions are. And I know something more about me. I know something more about how my mind works. I can see when I start feeling sorry for myself. Oh, that's what I do when I start feeling sorry for myself. We develop our capacity to be present for whatever arises, and that being present is our friend. It is a capacity that we have through persistence. We develop it through persistence and continuity of practice. Uteshaniya said, Avoiding difficult situations or running away from them does not usually take much skill or effort. But doing so prevents you from testing your own limits and from growing The ability to face difficulties can be crucial for your growth. However, if you are faced with a situation in which the difficulties are simply overwhelming, you should step back for the time being and wait until you have built up enough strength to deal with it skillfully. This is not about endurance. It's about persistence. It's really different. One of the things that's important is the idea of inclusivity. There is nothing that is not part of practice. There is nothing that cannot be let go of. Everything is included. Don't just work on improving yourself. First of all, it becomes quite dreary. Don't run away from the parts of yourself that cause discomfort. You know, the, the same feature can, be, can feel positive or negative depending on your attitude. You know? I tend to be a quick thinker. There are great advantages to being a quick thinker and a lot of disadvantages. <laughs> so I've learned to kind of moderate that. Ah, here's the first idea I have. Let's see if the second one agrees. <laughs> kind of a chicken and egg thing that happens with mindfulness. The more, my, the more mindful you are, the more likely you are to be mindful. Mindfulness leads to seeing clearly because you're not likely to be so fooled by your normal habits patterns. You know? So if you tend to be a certain way, that'll be the first thing that comes up to you in response to some stimulus may not be the wisest thing. That's one of the things that experience teaches us. So effort becomes not so much a mental exercise as a uh, something, it's a mental toughness to develop resilience. You develop resilience. Ah, I see, Oh, that was not real skillful. Well, next time I might do something a little different. I got off the phone from talking to someone last night and I thought, you know, I wish I had asked a question instead of giving my opinion about that. <laughs> it's another example of you know, a quick response to something someone said. Because now I have questions and it's too late because I've already given an opinion and I'm no longer on the phone. Okay, I'm going to watch that next time. Right. This is how we develop wisdom, by really paying attention and noticing. When I hung up, I noticed there was a kind of discomfort, hanging around discomfort. So I said, oh, what's the the nature of this discomfort? It becomes a habit, becomes a habit to be aware of what's going on for you. And that habit is the habit of persistence showing up, the habit of continuity showing up. Resilience has the quality that one tends to let go of fear. (coughs) You let go of expectation, you let go of desire, that with resilience. Oh, that didn't happen, okay. It doesn't mean that everything is okay in life, it means uh, you take a breath. Effort is free of judgment. Now, that's, that's kind of counterintuitive, but actually the effort that we're talking about here that is a spiritual faculty is, is free of judgments, measurements, comparisons. It's persistence in the way. It's not measuring yourself against a goal. I set out, and I set out, And I set out. And I set out. It isn't about reaching the destination. It is about being here. You don't get anywhere without a destination in mind. But don't leap forward to where you think you need to be. Just keep starting. A person that you know might be a source of inspiration. But resist comparing yourself. Oh, look at that person. She sits like a mountain. I remember somebody on a retreat that I was sitting next to. She was so still, so impressive, and I was restless. And I kept thinking, wow, how does she do that? (laughs) And um, after the retreat, I talked to her, and she said, Really? You thought I was still as a mountain? (laughs) Don't compare yourself. (laughs) See something and say, ah, I like that. But it isn't you, and it isn't even what you see. Seeing clearly is, ah, that person appears to be a certain way, but you have no idea really. (laughs) What you're really seeing is what you admire or what you don't admire. That's a distinction. That's a subtlety that you become more aware of. Oh, what I'm seeing in that person is something I would like to generate in myself. Stillness. What does stillness look like? Not I need to look like that person. This is this is where the effort of seeing clearly pays off. Because you're not trying to be somebody other than who you are. You're really not. Ah, stillness. I aspire to stillness. There's a sense of urgency around that. I really want that. There's a thirst around that. Ah, oh, what does stillness feel like in me? Look for the stillness in me. Here, what is your experience of stillness? Not what do you think that person is doing? not measuring yourself against that person who who appears to have some feature that is actually what you're longing for. So you can make some distinctions about it. So we're going to do something here. I want you to take your hands. Let's see. I'm keeping track of the time. I'm used to looking up here for a clock and it's not here. So I don't want to um, Okay, so uh, put the palms of your hands facing one another and take your index finger and just Touch your two index fingers together, or any finger. It doesn't matter which one. And uh, and maybe then... So you're just touching it. And you can feel that those two fingers are together. And then mm, let's take another two fingers, matching fingers. Put those together. So you're just touching them. Now you're aware that they're touching. Now push against them so that you can feel some pressure. Okay, so now we can feel the pressure. All right. Now I want you to push harder. Push really hard. Push really hard. P- apply a lot of pressure. Okay, so so now as you're doing that, that's taking a certain amount of concentration to be sure those fingers are together and that they don't slip off one another because there's kind of a fear that something might happen if, you know, if, if those fingers slip. And... Um, Uh, Oh, okay, now, now, now release some of that pressure. Release some of that pressure. And now they're just touching. They're just touching. And now let them go. And you're no longer touching. There's a great deal about effort included in that exercise. There's the original effort, I'm going to touch. I'm going to touch this. And you put your fingers together and you touch. And then, I'm going to really apply myself to this. And now you've got a little more pressure there. And you're applying yourself to that touching. And then you're forcing that touching. And you're pushing really hard. And that's, that's gone over into the edge now where there's, you're introducing tension to the whole thing. There's a lot of tension in that and then and then you soften that tension and now you're just touching again and you're examining pressure and then it's loosening and then you move your fingers apart and your hands almost don't you know what did they do now that's not there anymore now what do I do just for a moment it's very momentary because you know what to do with your hands whatever you always do with your hands right There is a quality to effort that has balance. In a contemplative life, forcing yourself to do something is creating tension that gets in the way of that life. There has to be some ease and relaxation involved in this. It has to be a flow. What we're looking for here is something that can be sustained over a long period of time. We want to be able to keep at it and return over and over again. If we're constantly pulling teeth, we're not going to do that. So it's important to sort of notice what's going on and to notice when you're really forcing yourself and say, okay, I'm forcing myself to do something. What if I don't force myself to do that thing, but I stay aware of how I am? This is good. This is good. It isn't about what you do, it's how you do it. It's what your attitude with it is. What are you aware of and what's your relationship to what you're aware of? Meditation, sitting on the cushion, meditation, is developing the capacity and the skill for being with what's it, what is. It has the side effects usually of calming us and allowing us to achieve some relaxation. But don't confuse it with life. It's just one application of how we do this. We might say, in addition to mindfulness, what we're engaged in is remindfulness. Remindfulness. Just remind yourself. Ah, I have an intention to be here. Am I here? Am I aware? Do I know what's going on? And that's all we're asking. Do I know what's happening here in this moment? Am I aware that I'm here? Or has my mind gone off and my body is doing this? Just am I aware? It isn't about being mindful of everything in your life. Just know where you are now. And this capacity does increase the more often you ask yourself what's happening now what's happening now it doesn't matter what it is although it may matter to you as you say why am I doing that (laughs) hmm that's not really consistent with my intention ah but the important part is just being awake and being aware of what it is that's happening there are two other thoughts I want to share with you. One of them has to do with the Buddha's instruction when he was dying. So when he was dying, his disciples came to him and said, Oh Buddha, now what? What are we going to do without you? How are we going to be taught? And he said to them, be a light unto yourselves and practice diligently. Diligence. The, the Pali word is apamada." And apamata means um, the absence of confusion and drunkenness and indolence. The absence of indolence or laziness. Stephen Batchelor gave a talk uh, about nine months ago at Upaya. And he talked about this word apamata. And he said, you know, it has another meaning to me. And that meaning is the meaning of care. Take care for yourself. Take care for your practice. That the diligence is also about taking care of something. And if we think of effort that way, it becomes less of a burden and more of the natural inclination of the heart. It's similar to that placing your heart on aspect of faith. It is bringing your heart into your practice and, and taking care of your desire for a spiritual life, being taking care of how you want to live in the world. It evokes more of that, I see this lovely cooing baby that I want to take care of, and a little less of that, I don't want to change his diaper feeling. Where it becomes a taking care of your life that is part of your diligence. That that diligence, it Of course I'm going to do this. Now it's like brushing your teeth in the morning. I'm going to brush my teeth in the morning because I want to keep these teeth. Whatever it is that that gives your life real connection with taking care. And then there is is the issue of balance. So the Buddha had a disciple who was talking about how hard it was to, to work and he said, you know, think of this effort as playing a lute. And when you play a lute, you have to adjust the strings to just the right tension. If they're too loose, the sound is wrong. If they're too tight, the sound is wrong. But when they're just right, then you create music. So do this in your lives. The effort is not, instead of living your life, part of living your life. So, a final thought. We only need to be aware. We don't need to be a certain way. We just have to be and know that we're there. We just have to know. The meditating mind tends to be at ease and relaxed relaxed. The effort that we make in our practice is about developing persistence so that it is easy to continue our practice. Not that every day is easy, but that we have an urgency, a thirst, a desire to take care of our practice, and we keep on. We just keep on. Just keep practicing. Be interested in whatever is happening now. Be interested in whatever is happening now. So I'm going to close. One one of the things I did was I wanted to come up with just the perfect closing to this talk, right? Now, I have a lot of poetry books at home. And I went through all my favorite ones. No, 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 no. Because, you know, there's something about effort that just kind of pulls on your source of energy, you know? And so when we're when we are when we're practicing sometimes we think well i need energy here and i have got to go for the sprint <laughs> you know or i need endurance i just got to see how long i can keep going and i'm going to push through this when really what we want is the ease of the long distance runner just it it becomes a rhythm here we go here we go here we go we're just we're just going We're just going. Um, When I was a little girl, I learned to knit. Does anybody here knit? Yeah. So when I was very young, I learned to knit. And then mm, in my early 20s, I started knitting again. (laughs) And mm, my mid-50s, I started knitting again. To this day, I'm really a very pedestrian, poor knitter. Even though, you know, I've been knitting for decades, off and on. Off and on actually doesn't make it. You don't get good at it if you do it off and on. It's the daily rhythm. So I found this poem. And the name of the poem is Rope. By Wren Williams. Uh Uh-oh, I've lost it. Here we go. The girl's father laughs a little too hard when I say, she knows what's important in life. As his daughter whips the dime store jump rope over her head for the 12,000th time, laughs as if I'm joking when really she has it down. Sparkly pink handles, grimy with effort, her face obscured by her hair, shins thin and bruised, socks down at the ankles, abandoned by the rest of the crowd the concrete square, an archipelago, an alignment with rigor the others cannot fathom. She moves with fierce persistence. Into afternoon, the heft of the handles, smack of the rope, no double-dutch limbo, no communal game, but this resolute definition of rhythm. Slanted bench shadows lengthening into space, the other kids simply forgetting she's there, Her solitary corner of the playground darkening as the dinner hour approaches while pigeons pause on their branches, squirrels come down the trunk and stop, with rush hour beyond the fence, cars idling, and the rope's metronome, forgotten as breath, weaving all the disparate energies of girl, elation, fury, eagerness, song, into one singular strand." The girl's father laughs a little too hard when I say she knows what's important in life as his daughter whips the dime store jump rope over her head for the 12,000th time. Laughs as if I'm joking when really she has it down. Sparkly pink handles grimy with effort, her face obscured by her hair, shins thin and bruised, socks down at the ankles, abandoned by the rest of the crowd. The concrete scare and Square and archipelago An alignment with rigor The others cannot fathom She moves with fierce persistence Into afternoon The heft of the handle Smack of the rope No double dutch limbo No communal game But this resolute definition of rhythm slanted bench shadows lengthening into space, the other kids simply forgetting she's there, her solitary corner of the playground darkening as the dinner hour approaches, while pigeons pause on their branches, squirrels come down the trunk and stop, with rush hour beyond the fence, cars idling, and the ropes metronome, forgotten as breath, weaving all the disparate energies of girl, Elation, fury, eagerness, song into one single strand. May you find the rhythm in your life that graves, gives you the grace of persistence, of fierce persistence, the rhythm of a single strand through your life. Thank you.